Welcome to 2022. It's a new year and many financial investors are reviewing the past year in order to gauge what the new year might look like economically. While no one has a crystal ball and the COVID-19 pandemic continues to throw some financial curveballs, there are some key factors that investors and financial planners are looking at to navigate the coming months. We hope to share some of that insight with you during today's podcast from Epic Trust Financial Group, LLC. Based in Richland, Washington, Epic Trust is a full-service financial firm offering financial services for individuals and businesses in the Tri-Cities, Washington area and a little beyond. Today, investment advisors Jeff Lewis and Mark Livernoy discuss their predictions for the new year. The Fed is one of the biggest wild cards for this year. Uh, and it, it has become, over the last several years, a bigger and bigger wild card just because they have so much control over the market. And I think the problem is politics and the media in terms of the Fed. That's the biggest reason we have volatility in December. You know, everyone is yelling at the Fed to do this and do that. It's like, would you all just chill? Right. I mean, just seriously. let the Fed do their job. We'll let us do our job. Just let the economy do its thing. Yeah. Right? I mean, seriously. It must, that'll right. never happen. We're on a 24-hour news cycle. It's too much to talk about. they got to find something to talk about, so they're going to dramatize whatever the Federal Reserve is doing, sadly. Well, you know, there's there's something called the January indicator, right? If January's up, the year's up. Well, that normally works. Until it doesn't. Well, it has an 85% accuracy rate um, with 11 major errors, and the errors happened in secular bear markets. So are we in a secular bear market? No, no, we're not. Right? But you just don't know. Um, you can still have, like last year, the market was down for January. The January barometer was down. It looks like we're having an up year. So that's why the that's why the accuracy rate is 85%. There's no 100%. And then that's where I had a hard time with predictions. Even reading through the CFRA oh, yeah, forecast, just, like, man, you're predicting stuff you have absolutely no control over. And I know it's what people want. Like, it's drama. Right. It's just our drama rather than soap opera drama. I don't know. I think I think I think it goes back to um, if everybody knows something, it's not worth knowing. Mm-hmm. If everybody knows that we're going to have a volatile year, what if we don't have a volatile year? Everyone is predicting because I have it on you know all day long, mm-hmm. right? We're going to have a good spring and we're going to have a sell off in the middle of the year and then we're rallying into the new year. Okay. That's the story every year. That's that's the story. Everyone, you know, everyone. It's like, well, what if that doesn't happen? That's the risk. The risk is. You enter into this this template of what's going on in the market, it doesn't it doesn't pan out. That's the problem. Again, the average annual return of the S and P five hundred is somewhere around eight to ten percent per year. Well, how often did it actually, you know, turn eight, eight to ten percent per year? Not often. It's just a median number, right? Right, or an average. It's number. an average annual number, which means right. most years we either did a lot better than that or right. a lot worse, worse than that. Right. And maybe we only have single digit returns. That just plays into the fact that we should be um, doing some of the covered call strategies that we use, right? Because uh, at running covered calls, you I get a sense from the market when it's not, we shouldn't be doing it. When you're looking at what, how stocks are, at, are acting, when you have a covered call strategy and you can see when it doesn't work, and we'll get into a, maybe we, it happens this year, we get into a period of time where, you know, we, we, we lose 10% on the indices. Well, the other thing to think about is we've had a, a, a bear market. We've had a bear market in the market this year. If you own any kind of non-blue chip tech stock, 
you've suffered more than a 10% correction in your position. Even in the last couple of months, since yeah. October and November. Yeah. It zooms down 20 or 30% since right. its peak. Right. Uh, all kinds of stocks. So some of the others that we have notes on that are just getting hammered right now. Well, you look at um, uh, Kathy Wood and, you know, she is she's everyone's punching bag. And I don't know if it's sexism or whatever it is, or everyone's jealous of the year that she had last year. But you know there's something up when they say, Kathy Wood, she's a great investor, but, you know, she's down 20, 30 percent. She's up 500 percent in the last couple of years, right? It, 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 yeah, she had a terrible year this year. Yeah, well, if, if you ascribe to what she talks about in, you know, market-changing companies, um, you ought to be buying when she's down. Absolutely. You ought to be putting money in her funds if you really believe in her philosophy. And, and I, I believe she's right. And, uh, you know, you go on the Internet and they have their calls and every month they have a strategy call that I listen to. And they're pretty dry, but their philosophy is they're looking for companies to, to double within five years. That's a great strategy. It's not an all-weather strategy. It's not. Well, and that's the trouble is you, if you've got conviction, you've got to have it through the good times and bad. Right. And this is one of the bad times for the conviction on her strategy. That's because right. if you own like ARKK, which we've owned in a lot of portfolios this year, it is down hard since yep. its peak in February. With the rest of small cap stocks, like small cap stocks in general peaked in February. We had another slight peak later on in the year. And then they, they have just been sideways with a big up and down swing on a month-to-month -month basis yep. uh, since February. And, in fact, the returns since February have been flat or negative, depending on the day that we're looking at. It's that crazy. Don't be sore, buy some more. Uh, you, you could be, <laughs> but it's hard to do that when you see the rest of the market, specifically the S&P 500 and other S&P 500 funds, or like Vanguard Prime Caps Fund or whatever, that you're up 20% for the year. Uh, small caps just did that from January to February, and then it went flat for the rest of the year. Exactly. And, uh, and so owning small caps has been a really uneventful year. In fact, it's been depressing uh, for most investors, including myself, as I look at that compared to other parts of the market that have continued to just climb higher and grind through that wall of worry that we always have. The stock market always has a wall of worry. There is always danger ahead of us. There's always reasons to be concerned. There's always reasons for someone to say the next crash is coming. And there's always reasons to be a cheerleader. Like earnings have been uh, phenomenal this year. Yes, they've slowed down, but earnings growth is still positive. And as long as it's positive, the market can go higher. Um, and so there's, there's always this competing battle of right versus wrong or risk versus reward or uh, fear versus greed and uh, optimism. And so it's just one of those fun things that we always get to think about and talk through. And like you were talking about earlier, Mark, the investor that we work with or the client that we work with who's always asking it, you know, it's now a good time to sell and we can wait for the, the next little correction to buy back in again. What do we say to that? We say what we say was we, we don't time the market. We're not we're trying, trying to time that. We're not trying to time the market. And to go back to... Um, you know, it's been very hard to be in ARC and it's been very hard to do this. This is supposed to be hard. It's not supposed to be easy. If it was easy, everybody could do it and everybody would be making money. I tell my personal contacts who, who ask me, I said, you make more money when things are bad than you do when things are good. 
explain that for our because it's why it, it's because you're picking up investments that are are mispriced in the market and Kathy Woods our innovation fund or her stable of funds exactly that they've had this great two three year run and everyone's running away and selling and mocking her strategy she will be right she will be right in five years is she going to be a hundred percent right no no one's on her it's a lot like a friend of mine who lives in Florida, and he flips properties. He's done it forever, and he's always told me, you make money on the buy. When you're buying a piece of property, you're making money on when you buy it, not when you sell it. When you see an opportunity on a piece of vacant land somewhere, and you can see two or three years down the road what this could be, that's when you make the money. And as stock investors, that's what we see when we see a certain company. We don't see where it is now. We see where it's been, where it's going. And what the prospects are we use earnings and we use forward earnings and we look at cash flows we look at the balance sheet we use all that information to say should we enter into a trade into this index or into this etf or into this individual security nobody bats a thousand that's the first thing and that's the hardest thing as an individual investor to admit to yourself and look in the mirror that i was wrong on this one and it's okay to be wrong it's okay and, and that's right because we don't we don't want to be wrong right but we are wrong. You have lot. to admit. Or that you can't win them all, which is another reason you've got to have some diversification in the portfolio. But coming back to your statement of uh, you make money when the market's down. The only way you make money when the market's down is if you have enough guts to buy. Yep. You cannot make money if you're selling at that point. You have to be buying. And the only way to be buying is you either have to have some powder dry, you got to have some cash on the sidelines, or you can't have had it all invested through uh, through the up and the down. Otherwise, you just got to keep holding. If you got all your money invested all the time, which is the way most investors should be and ought to be, you can't actually buy more while the market's down. Unless you're rebalancing your portfolio, you're selling stuff that's done well, and you're buying stuff that's done poorly. But it is the hardest mental exercise to do because you're grinding against your own personal safety when you do it because you're selling something doing well and you're buying something that's done poorly and it takes a lot of guts to do it. And that's why most investors don't buy on the dips. That's why it's hard for even us to buy on the dips. We face that same emotional challenge when we're looking at the portfolios and we're looking at our accounts and even our own investment accounts, my personal investment account. It was tough going through November and December and putting money to work, buying call options on the S&P 500 or on NVIDIA or some of these other stocks that I own and saying, these are beat up, but I know they're great and I know it's going to come back. And my account's getting to a point where it's back at an all-time high again on those positions, but only because I had guts enough to buy it when it was hurt. And that is really, really hard to do. Most investors can't do it. The other thing is, is if, if um, you can be over-diversified, you can diversify For sure. your return. If you think of our tax clients who have virtually their entire life in their business, they could be wealthy just on their business because all of their wealth and all of their time and blood and sweat and tears is put into this company, right? Just think of a stock or is this company. Yeah, they're not diversified at all. Their entire they're, net they're worth is in the business. At all, but, and there are people who fail at business, right? I mean, it just happens. And there's a lot of upside and there's a lot of downside being non-diversified. And we t I talk about this to clients all the time. If you hold good, solid, long-term, dividend-paying blue-chip stocks through the goods and the bads, you'll be amazed 10 years later at how much money you have. 
uh, but you have to go through the ups and the downs. You got to go through the downs. You got to go through 2020 and the COVID crisis. You got to go through 2008, 2009. You got to go through 1999, 2000. I mean, just in 20 years, those are three um, big bear markets. In the mini bear, uh, bear market we had a few years ago at Christmas time. So really, there's kind of four that would cause people to get out. And what we're hearing now is the the financial media is using the statistic against maybe investors or maybe against themselves, but the S&P 500 is, I think it's 70 or 71 now, because we're, we're, we're taping this on the 30th of December. 70 or 71 all-time highs in the S&P 500, okay? That hasn't happened since 1995. Ooh, they want to scare you. Let's, this is a little check. What happened in 1996? What happened in 97? What happened in 98? What happened in 99? Now, Someone all market up years. All market up years. You know, so you'll have someone on the other side of the of the argument saying, "Well, you know, the market crashed in 2000. Yes, it crashed in 2000. So am I supposed to sit in cash while I watch the S&P 500 double in five in the years? Three to five years, right? Just yeah. because the market's going to fall apart and the Nasdaq fell apart, but your average S&P stock did not. Here's the other piece of this puzzle here that we're, we haven't covered yet. Most people don't talk about. So in the 1990s, the Dow Jones Industrial, I think, was up over 1,000% yep. in 1990, that 10-year stretch. Right. What did the Dow not have, or what did the stock market not have that we have today that's forcing the market higher? Massive stimulus. Yep. We did not have the kind of stimulus back in the 90s that we have today. Yes, the government was spending money. Yes, we were doing things to promote business. And, uh, you know, Reaganomics was strong and uh, moving well through the economy. And free enterprise was, uh, was doing very well, which are all catalysts to a good free market economy that makes a stock market go up. But what it didn't have was trillions of dollars of stimulus that we have today. So... My bet is we'll have somewhere close to the same amount of new highs this next year in the S&P 500 that we've had this year. It wouldn't surprise me at all. And so if I'm going to make one prediction for 2022, which is what the, this episode is really supposed to be about, is what's our outlook for 2022? That's one of my predictions. I think we're going to have more highs this next year. We're going to have a lot more highs. Will we do 20%? I don't know. But I believe we're going to have a higher stock market next year than we have this year, especially in large cap growth companies. Uh, and I hope that we'll end up seeing some of that in small caps and in mid caps. Uh, but in those two categories of stocks, we're going to be looking at more value-based companies, not necessarily growth companies. Uh, so that's one of my predictions. Mark, how about your predictions? My prediction is the market will be volatile. <laughs> I agree. Probably more volatile than it was this year, which this year was kind of crazy. I think every, I think when when you when you watch the financial media, everyone's pitching eight to ten percent uh, returns. So my prediction is we won't have that. Um, we said before we started, right? If everybody knows something, it's not worth knowing. Um, everyone's predicting eight to ten. I, I I think we'll probably at the end of the day, maybe we're in the five to seven percent return, which is not a bad return after a twenty percent year. Uh, that's the whole idea of compounding. Um, and I'll, I'll make the uh, you know the. The broken clock is right twice a day argument. You know, international investing sure looks better than here in the United States. We've been saying that for how many years and it hasn't happened. Um, and a lot of the way, a lot of reasons because the dollar's been so strong, 
the dollar continues to be strong. Um, you know, we have a lot of clients who are, I'll call gold bugs, really like gold, they like precious metals. Gold hasn't done anything. Um, and you get these arguments, yeah, but, you know, I, I get the yeah, but argument, but, you know, the proof is in the pudding that um, I don't think holding gold is a bad, you know, investment, so to speak, but it's not really an investment. It's really kind of a, a safety play. It's kind of a put, if you think of it. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't pay you anything. Um, if you look at what gold's done in the last five years versus the S&P or against the Dow, it hasn't done very well. None of the miners have done very well, right? Um, this is not to mock anybody, but at the end of the day, it's kind of like the proof is in the pudding. And you have to, as an investor, you have to make money on someday. And you can't sit around waiting for that broken clock to be right again when the market has a fallout. And it will fall out. It's always fallen out, and it's always come back. And, you know, the recent argument is the Fed is propping us up. You know, 10 years ago, there was another reason, right? And 10 years before that, there was another reason. Um, as long as we don't get to 1970s-type stagflation that we don't believe is here. And the reason why this isn't the 70s is because of technology. Technology is the biggest difference. And Kathy Wood will say this, too. Um, the biggest difference between the markets now and the, the mid-70s market that I first started investing in is that we don't have the oil shocks that we did back then, and we don't have stagflation. Technology is the great equalizer. Mm -hmm. And technology is getting better and better and better and better. There are some downsides to that, just like there are downsides to everything. But as long as we have technological advancements, and I think one of my big predictions would be I would look at technology disrupting healthcare because as someone who's, you know, is, and we all consume healthcare, it is a very inefficient system. I can't imagine how, you know, I just can't, I can't believe how inefficient healthcare is in this country. It's just inefficient. We spend too much money, but yet we keep, you know, keeps on and on and on. And technology needs to really go into this marketplace and, and bring down costs. What other, um, if you walk into a Walmart, you know exactly what it is you're going to pay for a service or, uh, or, a, or, a product. or a product, right? You walk into a hospital and say, I've got a broken arm. They will not tell you what you're going to pay. You have to sign up, you know, sign these documents that says, oh, when we bill your insurance company, then you'll be responsible for the difference, whatever that happens to be. Right. Right. And you don't know how many bills you're going to get. And, you know, are you going to get just one bill? Are you going to get an anesthesia bill? Are you going to get a facility bill? Are you getting the doctor's bill? Are you getting a clinical bill? Like, right. depending on where you go and who you see, you could get multiple bills and multiple different expenses. Right. Um, it, it is ridiculous. Technology and transparency in the medical field is yep. really something that's, so that's my prediction. Come along. That's, that's my one prediction. Uh, I'm going to kind of follow along with that prediction on volatility. Uh, and that is one of the drivers of volatility this next year, as well as the drawdown uh, that I expect this next year. In 2021, we did not have a single 10% drawdown in the S&P 500. And what I mean by drawdown is from its the S&P 500's highest point to where it reached its next lowest point and started uh, an uptrend and hit a new high. So from peak to trough to new peak in the, in the S&P 500, we did not experience a single 10% drawdown this year. Statistically speaking, we have one to two of those each year. If we go back 30 years, 
in in the S&P 500 and looking at all those charts, we have at least one and sometimes two of those every single year. And we didn't have a single one of them this year. So one of my predictions is we are going to see at least one 10 percent drawdown in 2022 due to this volatility that you're talking about, Mark. Um, and and I believe that some of that will be driven by my prediction. My next prediction is the Federal Reserve, the Fed and inflation and its fight against inflation will be the thing that I think drives that 10 percent correction. Either they're going to make a policy mistake, act too slowly or too aggressively, or they're going to be far too aggressive and find out that inflation normalized on its own and all these supply chains ended up fixing themselves and support for materials, specifically building materials and construction materials, uh, manufacturing for automobiles and, and uh, semiconductors. Those things are all going to normalize, I believe, this next year. And uh, with that, I think inflation will normalize again this year as well. Uh, we're not going to see the 6% or 7% uh, quarterly inflation in, uh, in most of the market that I think we saw this year or that we did see this year. Uh, I think some of that stuff's going to come back down. We're going to see prices normalized on used cars and new cars uh, as chips get back into the system because demand hasn't gone away for a lot of those things. Only supply uh, had problems. So as that supply gets fixed, demand as it stays constant will continue to normalize those prices. And because of that, I think the Fed will overreact to rising rates and actually slow down the economy unintentionally. Um, and I believe that'll last a very short period of time. I don't think they'll change rates and actually drop them back down after they raise them, but they'll probably just say, hey, we're done raising rates. We're, we did our job. We probably overdid our job and we're going to be okay from here forward. So we're going to let the economy just kind of work its way through it. I hope that's the answer they give us as a you know business owner and uh, a weekend economist. <laughs> um, I hope that's what they end up doing. Uh, and I think that would be the best thing for the economy. I don't think overshooting a, a interest rate rise would be terrible if we only do it once. If we do it two or three times this year, uh, more than we need, that will be uh, seriously damaging to our economic recovery. But we are going to be in another bull market, the continuation of our bull market we have been in since COVID, uh, I believe will continue. And, um, and the economic recovery will continue to accelerate. Uh, GDP growth is going to grow again this year. We're not going backwards. I don't think we're going to see a recession this year, uh, which would, from a technical term, mean that economic activity slowed down compared to prior years. So uh, we have a three-month or more reduction in, uh, in GDP activity, where we actually go negative on GDP rather than continuing to be positive. I think every quarter this year will have positive GDP growth uh, in the United States and uh, globally, uh, and the U.S. will be the best place to continue to be invested over emerging markets and developed international markets. I think the, the 800-pound gorilla in the room is that we are in a midterm uh, presidential year. Oh, yeah. we can't get out of this one without politics. Yeah, well, <laughs> Go ahead. Everything, everything is everything is, right. everything is politics. Mm -hmm. uh, the third, the second year of a presidential term tends to be not very good for the market. And I think you know what we, what we see, what's happening politically in the country in terms of you know, it's highly likely if you were a betting person, you know, the the money line and the Republicans taking back Congress is probably plus eight hundred. 
um, <laughs> which means uh, for those who don't bet, you have to put up $800 to get $100 back. Um, so it's a very strong bet that the Republicans do take back to Congress. So when this happens, it's very uh, negative short term for the market. I think a lot of pundits are the reason why they're saying that we see a year in rally is that, it, it, I mean, you can extrapolate this out. If the Republicans take back Congress, then the Biden administration can't do some of these crazy things that people think they want to do. So therefore, that's pro for the economy and the, and the stock market will uh, advance based on, on that thought process. So that's kind of the template that's going on. Um, we also look at something that's called the January indicator, the January barometer, to see if January goes positive, um, the rest of the year is positive. That's about it. That happens 86%, 85% of the time. Um, it didn't happen this year. January was not good for the market. The January barometer uh, was actually down. And we were up 20%. So we say these things, right? There's no such thing as 100%, right? Uh, you're in a Hall of Fame if you can you know, bat 400, right? Um, yeah, if you can be forty percent right on these yeah, predictions, you're yeah, awesome. Yeah, that's right. So you know, <laughs> that's a pretty terrible track record. By the way, if you're in Cooperstown, if you're bad four hundred, right? Um, so in terms of indicators, the things that we look at, you know, things work until they don't. But we know that there's a lot of volatility because this is a midterm election year, and the pundits, everyone is saying, you know, the Democrats are done, and you know, what kind of crazy stuff will happen after that, or not crazy stuff will happen after that. So. As we take all these inputs, we, you know, in terms of um, sectors that we like, you know, we're, I think we've said this over and over again, right? Technology, infotech, we're going to, we're, we're looking at those type of um, uh, um, opportunities. Um, materials, you know, if if the economy is doing well, you need more materials. Uh, one of the things that we're looking at is uh, a lot of the research I've been reading is on the demand for copper going forward. Uh, the amount of copper in an in a EV vehicle is two to three times by weight versus in, uh, a combustion engine. Um, but on top of that is, well, if you have more EV vehicles on the road, you need charging stations. Charging stations mean more copper, right? There's a humongous demand coming in the copper sector. So as investment managers, how do we play that? You know, how do we, how do we um, as an investment manager, allow a client like yourself exposure to what's going on around us. We might not think of that. Um, the infrastructure is being built out. What kind of companies are going to benefit or are already benefiting from the build back better or you know, infrastructure bill or whatever it is you want to talk about? And we know these things have to happen. But what companies are making more money off of this or who are benefiting? So along with IT and the Googles and the Amazons and the Facebooks, like, we know what's going on in that sector of the economy, but what about the real part of the economy, right? The things that if you drop on your foot, it's going to hurt, right? That that part of the economy. And that part of the economy is going to continue to do well. So we have to be positioned uh, for uh, taking advantage of that for our clients. So those are some of the things that as we look forward uh, into January that we're going to look to position client accounts to take advantage of. Right. Yeah, and expect a lot more volatility this next year, folks. It's going to be a fun one, but probably a crazy one. And uh, I think circling back around to the political point, because we really can't talk much about investing anymore without talking a little bit about politics. I believe that the political pressure 
that the Federal Reserve is getting for the re-election or the approval rating of the president because he ultimately has control over who runs the Fed and the job uh, being awarded to Chairman Powell. Chairman Powell. Um, is ultimately in the president's hand, and uh, and a lot of the volatility we've even seen in November and December have, has been driven by the uh, unknown factors around who's going to be either staying or coming in as the new Fed chairman, and so uh, that that's proven to be a political and market-based uh, volatility enhancer. Uh, and I don't say that in a positive way. It has added volatility to the equation, and I believe it will continue to add pressure and volatility to the market this next year. Uh, politics and the Fed and inflation, I think those are our biggest risks when it comes to volatility or to uh, the price action of the market. But at the end of the day, the stock market on a daily basis is based on two things. One, who's buying or selling, and two, how much are they buying or selling? That's all that matters. Price action, uh, fundamentals, profit margins, all that other stuff, it just adds to the equation as to say why people should buy or sell. But at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is who's buying and who's selling. And that's what creates volatility, both upward and downward volatility in the stock market. That's what gives great companies huge valuations and poor companies terrible valuations. It really boils down to who's buying how much are they buying or selling? And uh, and that's what moves the market every day. It, it isn't the rest of these factors that we talk about. It's not the predictions that we have. It's not all these other things that we think should be causing the market to do something because the should be's are always going to lose to what is happening every single day. And that's what's going to drive the market higher. And as long as we have more buyers in the market from 401k plan participants and institutional investors and large banks that have to put money to work because they can't put it to work in bonds anymore because bonds are going to lose value as interest rates rise. That is going to be a market environment that will support higher stock prices because there will be more buyers than sellers on most days. And that's what drives the market to new highs every day. So if you'll remember that as an investor, that all these other reasons that you're looking for, any other blog post that you see that has great clickbait about you know why you should not be investing or why you should sell everything and buy something else or why you should own cryptocurrencies or whatever. All of that is noise compared to what's actually happening. And that is the number of people buying every day and how much are they buying? Fear and greed, fear and greed. And most of the time there's more greed than fear. So. <laughs> That's very true. But fear sells a whole lot better. It always sells. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we want to wish you guys a happy new year. Have a fabulous uh, couple of days with your family. I know you're not going to hear this until after the new year, but uh, we expect this year to be positive and we think it's going to be a more volatile year than we had this last year, but a positive one at that. And if we only get a few percent, like six, seven, eight percent out of the, out of the stock market this year, that is going to be okay. Most of your financial plans are built on a five to six percent average return uh, expectation. And so the years where we get more than that, it's super fun and we sure enjoy it. But as long as we're just getting that five or six percent on average, you're going to be fine. Your financial plan and your future is going to be secure. And that's what we're here to help you do. Um, more so than just make great investments, we want to help you be successful financially. That's the job you, you've hired us for, and that's what we're here to help you accomplish. And that means making great investments, but also staying in while things are tough. 
Uh, and we, we're here to help you do that. We have a good time doing it every day and we hope you guys are enjoying it as well. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Do you feel confident that your financial plan is poised to benefit from the ups and downs in the coming year? Maybe you're looking at the calendar and realizing retirement is getting closer and you're not sure if you're ready. If you don't have a financial advisor looking at your plan, the experts at Epic Trust Financial are ready to help. Email your questions to mark, M-A-R-C, at epictrust.com or find them online at epictrust.com. Investments and financial planning services are offered through Epic Trust Investment Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Investments should be considered within your overall plan, risk tolerance, and financial needs. Participation involves risk, including the potential loss of principal. Tax advice and accounting services are provided by Epic Tax Solutions, LLC. Insurance product are offered by Epic Insurance Solutions, LLC, and guarantees are subject to the claims paying ability to the issuing company and are not guarantees offered by Epic Trust Financial Group LLC or its affiliated companies. Epic Trust Financial Group LLC is not a chartered bank, trust company, or depository institution. Speakers who are not identified as members of Epic Trust are expressing their own opinion and their statements should not be considered as reflecting the views of Epic. Third-party speakers and the host are not subject to FINRA regulation regarding conflicts and disclosure, and the listener should be aware that they may have a financial interest in or other conflicts of interest with any companies discussed. Any opinions expressed herein are statements of Epic's judgment on this date and are subject to change without notice. This recording is the copyrighted property of Epic Trust. No part of this recording may be reproduced or used without written permission.